Hey everyone, welcome to the Disney WTF podcast. My name is Lori, a Disney lover who tries to explain the magic to my husband to be. <laughs> husband to be, fiance. We really don't know what to call each other still. Richie. Today's episode is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. See what I did there? I host an Alexa flash briefing called the Walt Daily. Flash briefings are short segments that you can subscribe to on your Amazon Alexa device. I wanted to share them here today because there's a lot of fun information that I really think you all will enjoy. So instead of a show being about one long Disney topic, I put together a mixtape of sorts about a lot of short topics. And this is the first time in a long time I've actually made a mixtape, so this was fun for me too. So get cozy, grab a Mickey Premium if you can, and enjoy. everyone, here's your Disney word of the day. It's kind of like having word of the day toilet paper, but it's more magical. Today's word is Omnimover. You've heard it before, but what is really an Omnimover? So imagine this. Imagineers are creating a ride, but they want you to ride it and take away very specific things from it. They want to be able to guide where your line of vision goes without you seeing the magic behind you. It was kind of like a movie-like experience without actually going to the movies because you're on a ride. So that's why the Omnimover system was created, so that Imagineers could show you exactly what they wanted to show you without you seeing how they did it. So they could hide projectors, lighting, enhanced illusions, and things like that. So. Current rides that have the Omnimover system are The Haunted Mansion, Buzz Lightyear, Peter Pan's Flight, Spaceship Earth, The Seas with Nemo and Friends, and The Little Mermaid. Here's a fun fact. Sometimes ride systems actually get reused. So for instance, The Seas with Nemo and Friends is made from all recycled Omnimover parts from other rides that used to use the Omnimover system. Here's a couple of other fun elements about the Omnimover system. Generally, it goes about two feet per second. So you know when you're getting on the conveyor belt to get onto the ride vehicle? Yeah, you're going about two feet per second because <laughs> it goes exactly in line with the vehicles. So, you know, for safety reasons. And the vehicles can tilt in relation to inclining and declining portions of the track. I gotta say though, I'm one of those people who even though the Imagineers want me to look straight ahead, I'm looking right behind my vehicle because I want to see exactly how the magic was created. Sorry. Hi everyone! Today we're taking a trip to the backside of water and talking about things you never knew about the Jungle Cruise. This was an opening day attraction at Disneyland, but did you know that in the early years there were no jokes on the ride? It was meant to be more documentary style to showcase the animals. That means that early riders didn't know what the magnificent Schweitzer Falls was, named after the African explorer. Albert Falls. All right, so you're on the ride. You're cracking up, having a great time, but then you notice the watercolor. It's brown, it's murky, it's clearly been brought from the depths of the Amazon, right? Not so much, actually. Disney has combined brown, green, and blue dyes to give the illusion of turbid water that you might see in the far-off rivers you're exploring. Plus, spoiler alert, it hides the boat track and the fact that the water is usually only about four feet deep. So we're cruising along the Nile and you see a downed plane, which can only mean one thing, hippos! K 
kidding. I actually want to talk about the plane. You only see the backside of the plane and might ask yourself, what happened to the other half? Well, the front half was actually used in the Casablanca scene in the great movie ride at Hollywood Studios. Very efficient, Disney. Where is it now, you ask? I genuinely don't know. Rest in peace, great movie ride. But anyways, as we continue cruising down the Nile, we want to be careful as we enter headhunter territory because we don't want to be headed down the wrong path, right? No. Actually, it's because this is the place where the boat Sankuru Sadie started to take on water and sank in the Magic Kingdom in 2004. Yes, one of the boats in the fleet actually did sink. And yes, there were guests riding at the time. And no, nobody was seriously injured. And yes, Sankuru Sadie is still in use today. Which, I don't know if it makes me want to ride it more or less. That boat. Hi everyone! Today I have five surprising facts about Walt Disney, the man. Okay, first up. Walt actually played the part of Peter Pan in a school play when he was younger. And when he would have to simulate flying on stage, he was connected to a rope that was pulled up and down by his very own brother, Roy. Speaking of school, although he holds honorary degrees from the likes of Harvard and Yale, Walt never actually graduated from high school. He left school at the age of 16 with the hopes of joining the army to fight in World War I. Okay, let's talk about Walt's relationship to Mickey Mouse. It's been said that in a lot of ways, Mickey Mouse's persona was modeled after Walt Disney himself. And even though, following Mickey's creation, Walt didn't animate Mickey cartoons regularly, Walt voiced the character Mickey Mouse from 1928 for almost 20 years to 1947. Walt took the voicing task very seriously and took a lot of pride in the job. It goes without saying that Walt Disney was an extremely successful man, but despite having a live-in housekeeper and cook and numerous other staff members to help him with his daily tasks, Walt still drove his two daughters to school every day. All right, last one. And this one's kind of amazing. With all of the wonderful songs that were created during Walt's time, it would definitely be hard to choose a favorite, right? But Walt did have a favorite, and it was Feed the Birds from the film Mary Poppins. He loved it so much that often on Friday afternoons, he would stop in the office of the Sherman Brothers to request a personal performance of the song. Hi everyone! Today I have all the information you need to know about your highway in the sky. That's right, the Walt Disney World monorail. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our final boarding call and the doors will be closing soon. Please board quickly and safely. Our monorail will be departing momentarily. Thank you. With a train capacity of 360 passengers, over 150,000 people ride the monorail every day, and over 50 million guests ride annually. That makes it one of the busiest monorail systems in the world. Yes, in the world. It's in the same ranks as metropolitan systems in Tokyo and China. Although the average train speed is 40 miles per hour, the monorails can go up to 55 miles per hour. There are a total of six monorail stations currently on Walt Disney World property, and three lines to take you from Magic Kingdom to resort hotels to Epcot and back. 
All in all, the total track length for the system is almost 15 miles long. The current train in use at Walt Disney World is the Mark 6, which are also currently used in the Las Vegas monorail system, although they are a little bit different in appearance. Disney operates 12 trains currently to run on the system. Each one is identified by a signature color strip running the length of the train. From teal to gold to peach, everyone has a favorite monorail color they hope to catch for their resort travels. Here's a fun fact, Disney uses the delta symbol or a triangle to visually differentiate colors that might appear similar from a distance. So for instance, you might see delta lime versus green and blue versus delta teal. Here's a little Easter egg for you about the monorail. The system they've patented to maintain spacing of trains on the same track is called MAPO. MAPO? M-A-P-O? Well, anyways, it's short for Mary Poppins. Yes, they named it after Mary Poppins. How cool is that? Mary Poppins basically keeps you safe on the monorail. So really, just how iconic is the Walt Disney World monorail? All you really have to do is look at the merchandise in the shape of a monorail for that answer. From monorail toy sets, to bags, to highlighters. Yes, highlighters. I myself have a set and they are pretty awesome. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Hi everyone! Today I have super fun information about Spaceship Earth to prove it's more than just the big ball in Epcot. What does the name Spaceship Earth actually mean? The term Spaceship Earth has been traced back to use as early as 1879, long before Disney ever got a hold of it. And it's said to not just be a term or phrase, but instead a worldview that encourages everyone on this Earth to act as a harmonious crew on this spaceship, to work towards the greater good and use our limited resources very thoughtfully. Pretty cool, huh? Alright, now the structure. Here's a surprising fact. Ray Bradbury, the author of Fahrenheit 451, was a consultant for both the design and storyline of Spaceship Earth. The structure rises about 18 stories into the air, standing upon six legs that are themselves driven 160 feet into the ground, which I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty good about going inside this almost floating structure. It took over two years to build. The spiral ride structure was built first, and then the dome surrounding the ride, and finally a second dome that encompasses everything. Why the second sphere, you ask? It was built so that a gutter system can be housed to channel rain off of Spaceship Earth and so it doesn't drop on the walking guests below. The water is then channeled to World Showcase Lagoon. Alright, now, the ride. As you board your very own spaceship to go through the universe of time, you slowly ascend to the top of the structure to see all types of advances in technology and communication. From the invention of paper, to the printing press, to walking on the moon. If you listen closely to the orchestra behind the narration, you'll notice that in each era of time, the types of instruments and styles of music are very specific to the period being showcased in the scene. It culminates when all our vehicles turn towards the center of the dome to look at our grand and miraculous spaceship. Earth, of course! Hi everyone! Today I have extremely important information. The comprehensive history of the Dole Whip. The soft serve treat that's a coast to coast staple was introduced in the 1980s. But Dole and Disney actually had a working relationship way before that. 
Dole had been sponsoring Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room since 1976 after replacing United Airlines. The Dole company wanted to create a product that it would plan to offer exclusively in Disney parks. That's when, in 1984, at the Magic Kingdom, Dole introduced the iconic pineapple soft serve that has arguably the biggest cult following of all Disney foods. By 1986, the treat went bi-coastal when it arrived at Disneyland. Even today, if you're visiting a Disney park, you have to chase down the Dole Whip because it's only available in a few locations still. In Walt Disney World, you can find it at Aloha Isle, in Adventureland, of course, and at the Polynesian Village Resort. And surprise, in a third location now, at Tamu Tamu Refreshments in Animal Kingdom. And that one was a big surprise to me too. Despite the limited availability compared to, we'll say, a Mickey Premium Bar, in 2016, Disney sold about 3.4 million cups of Dole Whip. Yeah, that's over 9,000 cups a day. There was a really long time when you had to be in a Disney park or a Disney resort to get your Dole Whip craving on, but nowadays, for the diehard fan, you technically don't need to wait until your next Disney trip to get this treat. There are a bunch of knockoffs you can find at various soft serve ice cream chains, but who wants to do that? Or you can just make it yourself if you're really ambitious, since online you can actually find a ton of homemade recipes for the Dole Whip. Not to mention, a whole bunch of other Dole Whip-inspired recipes are available online, like Dole Whip cotton candy, Dole Whip cookies, boozy Dole Whip, Dole Whip brisket. Oh, wow. I'm super hungry. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm here with your Disney word of the day. Today's word is weenie. Yes, weenie. A weenie is the word Disney Imagineers use to describe a structure that leads guests where you want them to go. Need an example? Think about Cinderella Castle and how it leads guests through the entrance gates of Magic Kingdom right into the hub of the park. Where did this word even come from though? It's said that when Walt Disney was developing Disneyland, he would often come home at night to his housekeeper making dinner. While he waited, he would grab a weenie from the fridge. He would eat it and share it with his dog, Lady, walking around the house. Walt noticed that as long as he had a weenie in his hand, Lady would follow. And that's said to be the origin of what weenie means to Disney today. One more example of a weenie? Tower of Terror might be the ultimate weenie, drawing guests right to it, not just with its structure and visual appeal, but with the sounds that you can hear from all over the park. A weenie. You'll never look at a hot dog the same way again, I bet. With or without a button. Hi everyone, today I have wonderful facts about Epcot's Fountain of Nations. The show happens every 15 minutes, right in the middle of Future World, where you can watch water cascading in a show of lights and music. Music selections include songs from The Rocketeer, Iron Will, and my personal favorite, The Rescuers Down Under. It's completely mesmerizing during the day, but once nightfall hits, the fountains become spectacular. You can see over 200 pneumatic shooters move 30,000 gallons of water per minute. 
Anyone ever throw a penny in the fountain to make a wish? Well, Disney donates all that change from this fountain and other fountains around property to local charities. You might be asking yourself, why the Fountain of Nations? Well, on Epcot opening day, Disney held the International Ceremony of Waters, where representatives from 29 nations around the world poured a container of their own water into the fountain, turning it literally into a Fountain of Nations. My favorite fountain tradition? Getting a Mickey premium from a nearby stand, sitting back and enjoying the show. Hi everyone! Today I want to make the case about how the final scene in Carousel of Progress is more timely than ever. There's two things I think a lot of Disney people have been noticing lately about the Carousel of Progress. One is that there was a time when we thought the Christmas scene in Carousel of Progress needed an update. Two, there was a time later than that when we had a realization and were like, wow, this scene is making a comeback. And that makes sense because there's so much about this scene that is more relevant than ever. Let's start with technology. We start the scene with Sarah integrating voice commands into their household. Meanwhile, John is cooking dinner. The lights on the tree become brighter with a simple command. Eventually, John burns dinner because he unknowingly increased the oven temperature to 975 degrees. How many times have you said the name A-L-E-X-A -E by mistake and something comes on, plays, or gets ordered by mistake? I sincerely believe we are all John burning Christmas dinner in the final scene of Carousel of Progress. Okay, more tech. Virtual reality was becoming popular when the scene was created, and now it is definitely mainstream again. From VR games to VR traveling, Grandma would still probably be able to beat Jim. Speaking of Grandma, she's spunky, full of life, and tech-savvy. That totally describes Grandmas of today, where age is just a number and so many are young at heart. Does anyone else watch way too much HGTV? Well, in the area that the family is hanging out in, it is totally open concept living. Kitchen, living room, dining room, all in one open space. How modern. Okay, this one's kind of a go with me on this one. Trish is in disbelief at the idea that there used to be life without a car phone, but she's not far off at all. Trying to imagine not having access to a phone no matter where you are does seem to be in the distant past, and hardly any of us could imagine being without one today. Okay, I think we can all at least agree that this song is more relevant and timely than ever. Hi everyone! Today I wanted to share the surprising story behind Expedition Everest in Disney's Animal Kingdom. This adventure takes place in the fictional kingdom of Anandapur and within a remote village at the base of the mountain called Sirka Zong. It's definitely a bustling village, which you can see by the ground having all kinds of marks on it, from tires to animal hoofs scraping it up. This village has several buildings that were owned by the Royal Anandapur Tea Company. That's because tea was harvested from the mountain and traded as a primary income for this village in the past. But now, the buildings that were used for tea trading house companies that bring tourists and trekkers up and down the mountain. 
which you can see by the abundance of trekking gear hanging from the awnings of the buildings. As you walk towards the mountain, you'll begin to notice that the markings on the ground become fewer and fewer, indicating that closer to the mountain is not as heavily traveled as the rest of the village. It seems like the townspeople feel that the mountain shouldn't be approached for some reason. The building you enter for Expedition Everest is owned by entrepreneurs Norbu and Bob, proprietors of the company Himalayan Escapes. The train that you board, operated by the Anandapur Rail Service, used to bring tea down from the mountain for trade, but instead now it brings trekkers up the mountain, and of course, eventually back down. That is, if you escape the dreaded Yeti. Hi everyone, today I have the top five hidden gems of one of the most well-themed resorts on property, Disney's Wilderness Lodge. Let's start in the lobby because some of the best details of the resort is when you first walk in the lobby. If you listen closely, you'll notice crickets. And not the type of crickets because the show is going so badly. Instead, it's the crickets that you would genuinely find in nature in lodges out in the Pacific Northwest. If you continue to walk towards the center of the lobby and look at the floor you're walking on, you'll notice that the design of gorgeous wood floors point to the center of the room. Not just the center of the lobby, but further than that is the design representing lightning striking the center of the universe from which things are created. And from these lightning strikes on the floor, you'll see animals stacked upon each other on the totem poles or the layers of the rock towering above the fireplace. After all the cricket listening and universe creating, you'll probably be craving a delicious treat. So head over to the Roaring Fort for a campfire cupcake. It features a rich chocolate cake and marshmallow center, complete with a dirt cookie top and a roaring fire made of buttercream, chocolate rocks, and a mini roasted marshmallow. Mmm, my mouth is watering. With our snack in hand, let's head over to the villas of the Wilderness Lodge. Off the lobby of the villas, you'll find the Carrollwood Pacific Room, a mini museum dedicated to Walt Disney's beloved hobby of steam trains. There's art, photos, and two actual train cars that are from Walt Disney's own backyard to marvel at, which for any Disney lover is pretty spectacular to be able to be within inches from something that Walt was so passionate about and close to. Okay, fine. If those weren't enough gems to get you to ride out to the Pacific Northwest, of Orlando. There's a Wonders of the Lodge tour, a gem so you can see the countless other gems in the lobby, villas, outside, and all around this amazing resort. It's an hour-long free tour that you can catch Wednesday through Saturday at 9 a.m., meet at the fireplace, and no reservation required. Hi, everyone. Today we're going to take a walk right down the middle of Magic Kingdom's Main Street, USA. Main Street, Main Street, meet me tonight on Main Street. From the entrance gates, you pass underneath the Walt Disney World Railroad and immediately be taken aback by the turn-of-the-century charm of Main Street. Originally inspired by Walt Disney's hometown of Marceline, Missouri, this themed area allows us to experience what an idealized town hub would be like in the early 1900s. 
complete with a city hall, barbershop, cinema, and of course, no town would be complete without its fire department. You could probably spend your entire day at Main Street and still not be able to experience all the details it has to offer. Let's go back to the barbershop. You can really get your haircut there, and beard and mustache trimmed. And how about this? They offer a baby's first haircut certificate if you mark the milestone at this barbershop. Okay, let's say you're just a little tired from walking all day which is totally understandable because after all, it's Disney World. You can catch a ride down Main Street on all types of vehicles and kick back and take in the sights without having to move a foot. Horse-drawn car? You got it. Jitney? Go for it. Fire engine? Yes, they have that too. You can find the pickup points for all these vehicles at Town Square and at Cinderella Castle. Trying to still get a feel for what Main Street is all about? Don't worry. You can even chat with the citizens of Main Street, mingle with the mayor for a minute or two, or even get into a discussion with the original feminists, the Women Unite Suffragettes, fighting for the right for women to vote. Something you'll notice on your stroll is that each of the windows on Main Street advertise various businesses and services for the townspeople. Each is a dedication to a person or imagineer who has made significant contributions to Disney, garnering the ultimate achievement, which is getting a Main Street window. For instance, if you look at the window above the railroad station, you'll see the Walt Disney World Railroad Office. Keeping dreams on track, Walter E. Disney, Chief Engineer. And here's a hidden gem. If you make a short right down the first side street on Main Street, you'll see a window advertising music lessons. Then, if you listen closely, you'll hear music lessons actually going on inside. Just another example of the rich detailing that Disney pours into everything. Another subtle gem that you might not notice is the streetlights. As you walk further into the park down Main Street, they go from gas to electric, symbolizing the progress in technology as the years go on. The intention of Main Street is to be the opening credits for the rest of the park. So you can imagine walking underneath the railroad as the opening curtain and the windows to be the makers of the magic you're about to experience. Everyone. Today we're going to take a look at the amazing details you never noticed about World Showcase's Morocco Pavilion. This is one of the few pavilions in Epcot whose represented country was actually excited to help fund the construction of the pavilion because of the potential for a tourism boost to the host country. This is the only country in Epcot where the government and not a corporation sponsors the country's presence to this day. The king himself sent designers, artisans, and builders specifically for the construction of a pavilion that would genuinely represent Morocco. One of the first and most prominent architectural features that you'll notice in the pavilion is a minaret, which is a tower commonly found adjacent to moss. To the left, you'll see the Fez House, which showcases a typical Moroccan house that features a courtyard and incredibly intricate tile work. Speaking of tiling, many of the mosaics around the pavilion are intricate but cracked or imperfect in some way. This was done purposefully, as in Islam, it is said that only the god Allah can create something perfect. Another representation of Islamic beliefs in the pavilion is the fact that it does not light up at night during illuminations because of its buildings holding such 
such strong religious significance. You'll find authenticity in practically every square inch of this pavilion. Citrus, olive, and date trees scattered throughout the interior of the pavilion, bright colors, Moroccan-made mugs, and ceramics of the bazaar transport you to feel like you're in North Africa and not in Orlando. And here's a gem that you're definitely going to have to look out for on your next trip. You can see the top of the Tower of Terror in Hollywood Studios from the pavilion, but the Tower of Terror was designed in such a way that it blends seamlessly with Morocco, so you might not even notice that it's there. Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner nonstop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round trip Super Skyway tour. Hi everyone, today I want to express how much appreciation I have, and I'm sure you have, for the TTA. I don't think the ride is underappreciated or unappreciated at all because people who are in the know totally get it and they get why it's such a gem. Here are some fun stats about the ride. The average speed is between 6 and 7 miles per hour, which is funny because a really good runner could probably outrun the ride. The ride track is about one mile long and you get to see all the sights of Tomorrowland, even go through Space Mountain. And who else thinks that literally when you go through Space Mountain, it is the best thing in the world when the lights are on. And in all my years of riding this ride, this has actually only ever happened once and it was the best. This ride has gone through three name changes in its history at Magic Kingdom. So from 1975 to 1994, it was the Wedway People Mover. And then until 2010, it was the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. And today it's called the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover. But if you're a Disney person, you're probably just calling it the TTA or the People Mover. Have you ever noticed the sign passing out of Space Mountain for Starport 75? It's actually a fun nod to the year the attraction opened, which is of course 1975. In a park where all you do is wait, the TTA is a sanctuary of short lines in the Magic Kingdom. Rarely will you wait more than a few minutes before you're on the conveyor belt, ready to board your vehicle. You get to see an actual portion of the model for Progress City or Epcot that was displayed in Disneyland in the 1960s. It's always a wonderful part of the ride. You get to look at all the lights and the moving parts of it. And can you imagine actually seeing that in the 60s in California? Oh my gosh, I would want to move to Florida right away. Some of the best views of the Magic Kingdom are really from the TTA. So for instance, when you make that right turn around Stitch's Great Escape, you get to see the view of the Cinderella's Castle. Always want to have your camera ready for that one. But I will say the one thing that is better than the TTA is the TTA at night. Where is Mr. Tom Morrow anyways? We've been paging him for like 40 years. Hi everyone, today I have surprising facts about the history of Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Oh, look at all the people. Welcome to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Hey Michael, me amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. Okay, we're gonna start off with a bang. This was the first attraction to feature the newfangled technology called audio animatronics. Not just one or 10, but 225 audio animatronics were created for the show when it opened in Disneyland in 1963. The hosts were macaws who represented various countries around the world through not just their accents, but even their feathers were in the colors of the nations they were supposed to hail from. For instance, our feathered friend, Jose 
expose featured red, green, and white feathers to represent Mexico. Although, over the years, the plumage of the host birds has since changed. Speaking of plumage, the feathers that cover the birds are actual bird feathers, with the exception of the chest area. The chests are covered with cashmere instead because it gives a more realistic motion of breathing, something that was realized during a planning meeting where Walt Disney himself was wearing a cashmere sweater and it was noticed how well it moved. The Enchanted Tiki Room in Disneyland was the first fully air-conditioned building in Disneyland. And that's not just a coincidence. The building had to be air-conditioned because of all the computers that are controlling the audio animatronics. Is there any other way you could imagine taking in the sights and sounds of the Tiki Room? What if it was a restaurant instead? Well, the attraction was originally conceptualized to be a restaurant called the Tiki Hut, where tropical birds would serenade you while you dine. But because of the logistics of conducting the show and to make it more accessible, the restaurant was scrapped to make way for a 15-minute show instead. All right, all right, enough with the jibber-jabber. Let's go get a Dole Whip before the show starts. Hi everyone, today I have magical information you need to know about Cinderella Castle. The magnificent structure is located in two Disney parks, Tokyo Disneyland and of course, Magic Kingdom. Even though the castle seems to have a brick exterior, no bricks were used in its construction. Instead, it's made from a steel frame with 10 inches of reinforced concrete. Most of the exterior details that we see are made from fiber reinforced plaster, with fiberglass being used for the more ornate portions like the upper towers. The structure took about 18 months to construct, and something pretty awesome, it can withstand winds of up to 125 miles per Hour. Herbert Ryman was the designer of the castle. From French chateaus to German and Spanish castles to a Czech church, he was inspired by many different far-off places to create the final design of the castle. Ryman was also the chief designer for Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland. But, fun fact, Cinderella Castle is over 100 feet taller than the Sleeping Beauty Castle. The height was chosen intentionally so that guests who were coming across the Seven Seas Lagoon from the parking lot area would already be able to see the castle. In total, there are 27 towers on the castle, but originally there were supposed to be 29 towers. Two of the towers were taken out of the design because Imagineers realized that they couldn't be seen from anywhere in the park because of buildings located in Fantasyland quite resourceful. As if there weren't enough details to be captivated by on the outside structure, the interior breezeway that leads into Fantasyland has a beautifully intricate mosaic telling the story of Cinderella herself. With a total of five mosaic panels to tell the story, it took six artists 22 months to complete the entire mural, which is crazy because it took longer to complete the mosaic than the physical castle itself. Here's a hidden gem. In the panel where Cinderella is trying on the glass slipper, you'll see that her wicked stepsisters are green with envy and red with envy. Anger. Like, literally, their faces are tinted with green and red tiles. Although in general, style variations are minimal between Tokyo's version and Orlando's version, smaller differences can be noticed between the two structures. For instance, their rooftops are a slightly different shade of blue than ours. The biggest difference, though, is actually the difference in height between the two castles, with Magic Kingdom's version being 15 feet taller than Tokyo's. After you walk through the archways into Fantasyland, you'll see a wonderful wishing well with Cinderella herself where just maybe you too can make your dreams come true.
Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can check out all of the latest flash briefings by subscribing to the Walt Daily through Amazon and have some fun daily Disney info come right to your house. I hope you have a very, very magical day. And again, thank you so much. And let me know what you think. Bye.